well, we've been going through uh, the, the series on Out of the Valley. Um, the way we got into this was I just felt like God put it on my heart that too many Christians live in a place of despair, that too many Christians live without hope in, in areas of their life. It may not be your entire life. It may be. You may feel like that life has just come to a halt, that it's always going to be the way it is, and, and it may just be one part of your life. It may just be a little aspect of your life. It might be um, something with your children. It might be something with your marriage. It might be something with your job. It might be something with your finances. And I just believe that God's desire for our lives is to always have hope. And he doesn't promise that everything's going to be um, without a hiccup, without a bump, but he does promise that he'll carry us through so that even when the devil comes, he begins to come and try to steal, kill, and destroy. God says, you can always have hope in me. And so today I want to continue that thought. I want to continue going forward with um, this, this theme of hope. And I want to talk to you today specifically about the hope of knowing God as a shepherd. The Bible talks a lot about God being a shepherd. And today I want to talk specifically to that. So I want, I want to um, say a, a, a prayer. And I want to read you this scripture. And then we'll say a prayer. And then we'll jump into it. Um, it's out of Psalm 23. It's such a popular scripture. But I want to talk about it today maybe in a little bit different way. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, we just pray that it would be like good seed. God, that it would be sown into our hearts. It would find good soil there and it would produce fruit in our lives. God, we rebuke every spirit of hell that would try to come against this word, that would come and try to rob it from us, God. We just rebuke that in Jesus' name. And we just believe, God, that this word will produce fruit for your kingdom. God, for those who are here today who, who may be in despair, those who, who just feel like hope has left them, in an area of their life or life completely, God. I pray today that you would stir up faith, that you would stir up life and hope within us, God. That we would continue to walk forward with our eyes on you, knowing, God, that you are the God in certain times and you are the God in uncertain times. God, we just thank you for that. Bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, real quick, I, I want you to try to get it, this in your head. And I, I'm going to try to describe this scene to you the best way I can. But I want you to think about this and, and just picture this in your mind. On one, on, to the north, there's one mountain. And on this mountain is a huge army. And, and, and they're just lying across the mountain. You come down that mountain towards the south and there's a valley. And then you start up another mountain and, and to the south and there's another army. And they're lined up there together. And the army that's standing on the north mountain, they're standing there and they are watching this young man, this, this young shepherd boy descending down the mountain. And he's walking along and, and he's walking and he's carrying all the hope and all the promise of the nation of Israel on his shoulders. Now think about this. Here they are. Young David is descending down this mountain. He's come to the camp just to bring some cheese and just to bring some bread. Now think about it. He didn't come even to fight. And yet here David is. He's descending down the mountain. And if you remember, the story started out because um, Goliath was coming out from the south side, from the, from the south mountain, and he was yelling threats at the Israelites. You remember that? 
And he said, just send one person out to fight me. If I win, then you'll be our servants. If, they, if you win, then we'll be your servants. And the Israelite men were shaking in their shoes. Nobody wanted to go fight them. Nobody wanted to take on Goliath. And then here comes David, the little cheese toter. And he comes and he gets there. And he's like, who's this, who's this guy profaning our God? Who is this guy? Who is this heathen Philistine that is profaning our God? He's blaspheming our God. And they're all looking around like, you don't know. You know? And, and he says, I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him. And, and listen, Saul's like, you, he was the king then. He said, you are just a little, little fella. How, he was like five foot two, okay? Five foot two. And he's like, you're going to go fight him? And he's like, listen, I've killed lions and bears. I can kill this guy. If the Lord delivered me out of their, their mouths, then he'll deliver me out of this guy's hands. And so he looks at him and he's like, okay. I mean, come on, your whole life, your whole livelihood is dependent upon a guy who's five foot two fighting a guy who's nine foot nine. I don't like my odds in that. And so here he goes down the hill. And can you imagine the emotions that those people were feeling as they stood there watching David go down that hill? And they're sitting there and all the hope of Israel is riding on his shoulders. And he's moving. And, and, and almost picture this in your, your head. He's moving and he's moving confidently. I mean, they tried to throw the, the armor of Saul on him. And he's like, I can't use this. This is way too big for me. This is just clumsy. He takes it off and he's moving down the hill. And the Philistines on the other side. And he's still shouting these threats. And they can hear it. And they're watching it. And they're literally watching their future take place. I mean, it, here it is. It's the deciding moment. And he moves confidently. He moves quickly. And he's going along. And he only stops at the brook of Eli. It's the Eli Valley. He stops at the brook and he picks up five stones. He puts them in his pouch. And it says that when he looks up, the Philistine starts towards him. That is wild, man. Yeah. See, we've lost, we have lost the intensity of this story. This thing is nuts. It is so intense that when David finally kills him and cuts his head off, it says that when he goes back to see Saul, he's still toting his head. This was an intense moment. And so he's going and, and he's moving along. And, and I don't care how you can be word of faith, you can be as faith-filled and spirit-filled as you want to be, but when you bend over and you crouch down and you stand up and you see a guy who's nine foot nine coming at you, and he's carrying, listen, he carried what they call a weaver's um, beam. And in the, the weaver's loom, there was this big beam that was in there. And typically they were between five and six inches in diameter. This is what he carried for like a staff. It said that the end of his spear weighed 15 to 16 pounds. The armor he carried, he, that he wore, it was a coat of mail. It was like fish scale looking things. Weighed 126 pounds. This is a big dude. I mean, I'm thinking when I pick up the stones and look, I'm like, I, I need to uh, talk to you all about this. I'm not so sure about this anymore. But here he comes and he's coming right at him. And you know, he didn't panic. He didn't freak out. He was confident. He moved forward. And I started asking myself this week, how did David do that? How did David do that? And yet David was so confident. He was so sure. And yet I can get, I can get discouraged by the least little thing. Anybody else like that? You can just get discouraged. I mean, here he is fighting a guy that's twice his size, probably three times his weight. And yet he's moving confidently through. He's moving along and he picks up the stones and he's just ready to go. And I started asking myself, God, how is it that he did that? How could he move with that, that confidence, with that, that surety that, that this is going to be okay? We're going to work this side. This, God's going to take care of this. 
And I came across this psalm, and, and I began to just study it. I began to pray over it. I began to ask God to speak to me. You know this psalm. I'll ask you this. Where do you usually hear this psalm? Psalm 23. Funerals. We usually hear it at funerals. It's like the death psalm. I mean, it doesn't matter who dies. You go, you're going to hear Psalm 23. And yet when I read it, man, it's not even about death. Listen, this psalm was not written because somebody died. This psalm was written because God had just delivered David out of something. We don't know exactly what that something was, but it was a situation somewhat like what he dealt with with Goliath. He had delivered him from an enemy. He had delivered him from circumstance. Whatever it was, this was written as a psalm of thanksgiving. It was written as a a song of saying, God, you are good. It was probably most likely read at a banquet of thanksgiving where they were eating and going, God, you are good. We praise you, God. And then David says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Think about that. That is huge. That is huge because David is speaking in a context that he understands. David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. David understood that. And today, the first thing I want you to see in this is that we have, when we see God as our shepherd, we have hope because God has placed value on our life. See, the sheep... The sheep are kind of like us. I think that's why Jesus referred to us as sheep so much, because we're not that smart, you know? A sheep will do there My dad's got a couple of sheep, and there will be, be an entire pasture full of, of green grass, but they want to eat something that, that they can't get to, you know? It's kind of like goats. They'll just stick their head through there to get the horns. But I think that's why Jesus compared us to, to sheep, because we're just not that smart. You know, they just don't do things that are real intelligent. And sometimes we don't either. And, and I just believe that, that what God was saying, listen, you have no value on your own. You, you in and of yourself, you're, you're really not worth all that much. Just like that sheep. I mean, what are they? They just kind of go around and eat grass, you know? Just kind of plodding along. They just kind of don't do a whole lot. But they have value simply because the shepherd sees them valuable. You see that? It's, it's not something that they've earned. I mean, they're just out there eating grass. They didn't do anything to get the favor of a shepherd. The shepherd just put it on them. He just said, I just value you. You are worthy to me. And David knew what that meant to him. He, he understood the fact that, that the shepherd was the one who would give his life for the sheep. Jesus even said that in John 10. He said, listen, the shepherd will, will lay down his life for the sheep. Because they're his. He cares for them. He loves them. And so today, the first thing I want you to hear is that God cares for you more than you could imagine. That when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, he wasn't just saying, you know, that just just to say it because it sounded good so we could read it at funerals. He was saying it because he understood God to be that way. He understood God to be a God who cared for him, who had placed such value on his life when he had done nothing to deserve when he was a sinner and David was doing all the wrong things, God still placed value on him. When he, when he wasn't even anointed to be king, God still placed value on his life. And the problem is that we look at ourselves and because we can't place value on our own lives, we begin to think that it's not worth anything. But I tell you this morning that you have value not because of anything you've done, but because the shepherd has said you have value. See, there's, this, there's a country over in West Africa. It's, it's Sierra Leone. Now, I, I don't know how I started reading about Sierra Leone this week, but I started reading about it, and it is the country in the world that has the worst living conditions of any place. 
But people go there, and there's, there's a lot of diamond speculators who go there. And they go and they look because there are billions and billions worth of dollars of diamonds underneath the surface of the ground. And they go there and they begin to look and they begin to dig and try to find these diamonds. But the thing that I found most interesting about that is that when they're digging, they're not, they're not trying to find the diamonds. They're looking for this rock. It's a particular rock that they're looking for. It's a red rock. And so what they do is they dig and if they hit that rock, they know that most likely there are diamonds in that place. And it's so valuable. It's so valuable. And I was thinking about that in relationship to us and God. And you know, I believe God is the same way. I believe that no matter what you've done, how you've lived, what you did, what you, you know, where you've been, who you've done it with, I believe that there's something that God sees in every one of us that tells him immediately that you have value. And you've got to hear this because when he looks at you, he doesn't see the mistakes. He doesn't see the screw-ups. He doesn't see all the choices you've made. What he sees is himself. He recognizes his own DNA in you. The Bible says that we were created in his image. So that even if you're not in Christ, even if you've, you've never given your life to Christ, when God sees you, even though it's a marred image, He sees the DNA of Himself. He sees His fingerprint on you. So that He immediately recognizes there is value there. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've failed. It doesn't matter what you're, where you've been or what you've done. God still sees that there is value. Now, a diamond doesn't just come up out of the ground and have all the value that it's going to have. It has to be worked. It has to be mined. It has to come out. It has to be cut. It has to be shaped. It has to be, um, you know, polished up. It's got to be, be made into something beautiful. And that's what God does. He recognizes himself in us. He calls, himself, he calls us to himself. And he begins to shape and mold us so that we can become even more and more like him. So this morning, you've got to see that just because the shepherd has said you have value, that you have it. It's not something you can earn. It's not something that you can just um, do enough good things and have. It's not, it's not something that if you can stack more good chips on this side than on this side, it's going to work out. It's something that you can only have through God. And when Jesus came, he called himself the good shepherd. And he came and he died for us so that we could have all the chips stacked on our side. So that we could come and we could come to a place where, where we realize that, that Jesus has placed great value on my life. God placed such value on us that he came and died for us. And so we need to begin to see that. We've got to understand that, that God has placed incredible value on us. It says in verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen to that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Then it says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. One of the things that happens with sheep and when they would shepherd these sheep, and another thing that David knew when he went into this, when he wrote this psalm, is he understood getting sheep to where they could find food. See, in the winter and the spring, there was plenty of rich green grass. The sheep would just stay in one place. They, they didn't have to move. They would just keep them right there. They'd guard them. They'd just kind of keep them all right there together. And they'd have plenty to eat. But in the summer and the fall, the grass became real sparse. It, it was like, I guess, a drought, drought time for them. So that they would have to move around. They would have to, to take the sheep and they would have to lead them to some other place so that they could um, have enough to eat, so that they could have enough to drink. 
So what David is saying here is, listen, he makes me lie down in green pastures, but when it, even when the pasture isn't green anymore, he's still taking me to the next place. And so we can have hope in God, even in uncertain times, knowing that he's going to get us to the place that we need to be. That even in the place of uncertainty, he's going to get us to green pasture. He's going to make sure we're taken care of. He's going to lead us and guide us, and, and he's going to take us to the right place. I don't know if you've ever been in that before, where, where you've been in a place before. If you haven't, then praise God. But I know I've been there when I'm looking around and I'm wondering, what in the world's going on? I've been faithful. It seems like I've done everything that I could have done. But all of a sudden, my green pasture is just dried up. It just seems like there's nothing there. And, and then you're just out on this journey and it almost seems like you're alone. It almost seems like you're wondering, what's going on? How, why, why is this happening to me? And the thing that I'll tell you is this, that God is still God in the uncertain times. God's not just God in the, in the times when everything's gravy. God is God in the uncertain times. With the economy like it is, God is still God. When your children aren't doing what you want them to, God is still God. When your marriage isn't looking as good as it could, God is still God. And He's still leading you to a place of abundance. And He will get you there, but you've got to keep walking. I think one of our biggest problems is that we'll just come and too many times we'll just sit. And it, boy, it looks bad, but we'll just try to hunker down and just sit through it. Let's just hunker down, you know. Let's just get through this thing. And God's like, no, just follow me. Just trust me. Just go with me. Just go with me. I'm telling you, when we started the church, there were times I was going, all right, God. Help me here. You know, when we got going. And, and, and you know what, though? God was so faithful. We just keep walking. We just keep going. We know God told us to do this. We know God told us to do this. All right, God. All right, now, on Monday, our projector's going. So we need a projector, God. And I'm like, you know this. You know this. And I'm on the way to Lakeland. I'm on the way to Florida. And I get a phone call. And somebody says, hey, you still need a projector? And I said, oh, yeah, we need one, like, tonight, as a matter of fact. And he's like, well, you got one. I was like, no, no. I said, we need one. He goes, no, you got one. I was like, no, we need one. We don't have one. It's, like, gone. And he's like, no, dummy. I bought you one. I was like, really? He said, yeah. He said, I'm at a pawn shop, and I just saw one, so I figured I'd get it for you. He, he had gotten his uh, tax return money, and so he went and bought us a projector. So it's just one of those things where God says, listen, I got you covered. I know the pasture might not be as green as you thought it was going to be right now, but you keep walking. And you know, God just kept taking us from pasture to pasture. And every time we'd start looking and thinking that something wasn't going to go the way we, we thought it was, God shows up. Every time we start thinking, well, I just don't know if it's going to happen. What are we going to do about the next six months on the building? The people walk in, they go, well, what did we do last six months? Well, y'all gave it to us. Why don't we do that again? Okay. <laughs> so that God's just saying, son, and, and you know, I think this is, this is really how God talks to me. Son, if you will just chill and you will relax and you will just walk and you'll just trust me and you just hold my hand, I will walk with you the whole way and you will always be taken care of. You know, through all the junk we've done, through quitting a, a, a good job, through starting a business, through selling a business and going into full-time ministry, to back to working part-time and starting a church, all that crazy stuff, you know we've never lacked one good thing? Because when God's leading you, He will take you from pasture to pasture. And you may be in a drought right now, but I'm telling you, the day is coming when God's going to lead you into the pasture. 
If you hold on, God will fulfill every promise. But you got to hold on. you got to hold on like life or death. You, you need to know that God is going to take you to that place of abundance. He's going to lead you to that fertile field. He's going to make sure that you get everything that you need. But you got to just keep walking. You've got to keep walking. You've got to realize that you have a God who is a shepherd, who loves you, who has placed his eyes upon you. Listen to me. If he cares about the birds and he feeds them and he loves the flowers of the field and he clothes them, and even Solomon wasn't as, as well-dressed and as glorious as the flowers of the field is what Jesus said, then how much more will he care for you? He is there and he has placed such value on you. And he's going to lead you and he's going to take you from pasture to pasture. And he's going to be your God and he's going to take care of you. In the midst of all of it, in the midst of uncertainty, he's going to take care of it. The next thing says this, and this is the part that we always hear at funerals. It usually gets dragged out like, yay, you know, you know how the preachers say. This version just says, even though, but some of them say, yay. And so preachers just love, they're like, yay. You almost feel like you need to walk up and smack them so they'll just like get unstuck. It's like a record that's stuck. It's like, yay, though I walk. And then, you know, they get into, ha, ah, ah. And so they get, get going like that. But it's, that's why I like this translation because it doesn't say yay. It says even. So I can't get stuck, you know. I can't get stuck on the yay. So it says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've heard people try to take this verse and turn it into something that gives us a justification for having to live in the valley. And I just don't even think that's what God's talking about. I don't believe that for one second. What I read here is he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Come on. That means even when you're walking through stuff that just doesn't seem right, even when people are talking about you and saying things about you, even when you have to make tough decisions that people might think are crazy, even when you look at your checkbook and it looks like you don't have enough money to pay the bills, even when you've got good friends who are turning against you, you need to understand that even then God is with you. And it says, I will fear no evil. So even in the darkest hour, God is there to take care of you and to love you and to watch over you so that even in the midst of the darkness, His light shines upon you. And I just believe it works this way. When you're going through those tough times and you're just walking and you're just going and, and, you're just, and you want to say, yeah, yourself, and you're just walking along and, and all of a sudden you, just, you go through it and you look back and you just look at it and you go, how in the world did I get through that? And people around you are watching going, I don't even know how you did that. How did he do that? Well, one thing I can tell you is God was with me. I remember, and, and I talk about this a lot because it still amazes me, but I remember when we started out at the Pond House um, back in November, and we had seven people at the first meeting. I say that because it still amazes me that this happened. We had seven people on November, probably 20-something. I have to go back and look. But we meet for the first time. We got seven people in there with our computer playing the worship music, and I'm preaching to seven people, and five of them were family. They had to be there. They had no choice. My mom, my dad, my wife, and my in-laws. They had to be there. They had no choice. And then there were two other people there. And I'm standing there preaching. And you know, I look back on that. I'm like, what was I thinking? What were we doing? Because in me, in my natural mind, when seven people showed up, I'd have been like, oh, all right, good try. You know, let's go home. You know? But I look back on that and I'm like, oh my gosh, at the grace 
Oh my gosh, at the grace of God that came in. And even in that place when the pasture was burnt. I mean, it wasn't even thinking about being green. It was just burnt. And we're just standing there in the pond house. And I'm preaching like there's a thousand people. You know, just going to town. And everybody's like, hey, mom's dozing, you know. And I'm like, somebody turn the air down. Wake her up. And and we're going. And, and you know, it's just, it, I look back and I'm like, how did, it, how did we do that? How did we come through that? I mean, listen, y'all. It was in the middle of the winter. It was cold. We had no place for kids. So I went to Sean's office and I got these big heater propane tanks. The only problem was they shot a flame out this far. And we put them on the, I put plastic around the back porch and we put these big heaters out there and they were shooting flames this far. And they were, what are we going to do about the flames? I was like, just keep them out of them. Just don't let the kids get too close. I was like, if the kids get close, it's going to be like, Michael, you know, just hair on fire. You just don't, you know, you just go and they'll be lit up. So just keep them away. And I was like, if they don't learn anything, it's all right. Just nobody catches on fire. And so we had, I mean, and you look back on it and you're just like, oh my goodness. How did God bring us to, how, how, how did we even have the courage to stand up and, and preach to seven people? It's just the grace of God. The pastor looked just, it was, you know, just what is non-existent. It was like dirt. It was dust. And yet God says, just keep walking. If you'll keep walking, I'm going to take care of you. If you'll just keep going, keep moving, pick your feet up and go. Pick your feet up and go. I place something on the inside of you. And if you'll keep moving, I'm telling you, it's going to come. It's going to come. And, you know, peace after peace began to fall. But if we had just hunkered down and said, oh, well, I must have had too much pizza the night I thought God spoke that to me about the church, then we'd have never gotten through that passion. We'd have never made it to the next place. You just got to keep walking. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep trusting in the God who is the shepherd, who has placed value on your life and who will take you from pasture to pasture that you can find good food, that he'll meet every need and every provision. It says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, another way that we have hope in God is that we understand the rod and the staff of God. David knew this. He knew it like the back of his hands. When he went to talk to Saul about going and fighting Goliath, it was the very thing he said. He said, listen, I have slain the bear and I have slain the lion." He said, I've been a shepherd. I understand this. And so he said, I can go and I can kill this big giant. I can kill this big man. I can take him down. I'll kill him. Because he understood what the rod was about. He understood what the staff was for. He understood that when he was in that field and the enemy, that wolf, that bear, that lion would come and he would begin to come and try to take the sheep, he would take the rod and he would beat him to death. I mean, he would just beat him. And so he understood. So when he says, your rod and your staff comforts me, he understood God's protection. He understood God's provision around him to protect him. He understood that God was there and that he wasn't only going to just put value on him. He wasn't just going to lead him from pasture to pasture, but he was going to protect him. See, when they would move from pasture to pasture, a lot of times what they would have to do is they would have to go through the mountains. And they were steep and they were rugged and they were dry and it was dark. And that's really the valley of the shadow. The shadows of the mountains would be cast upon them. And they're moving through there and he's got all the sheep and they're just walking through. And it was where the, the animals could just jump out of nowhere and eat the sheep. And so he's walking through and he says, listen, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can walk through this. I can do this, not because of who I am, because of the value I have, but because God is there with his rod and with his staff. And I know that when something jumps out to try to come after me, he's going to be there like, 
Like Susan with the boys, she just come out of nowhere. You think you'd be like, ooh, he don't need to be doing that. All of a sudden, wah, wah. Susan just comes out of nowhere. Wah, You know? Well, that's how God is with us. Listen, I mean, I remember, I remember being a little boy. And I remember being a little boy. And I remember I could, I could get myself into stuff. But my dad was always there. It was like, you know, sometimes the rod was used on me. But, but so many times there would be somebody who said something to me, did something to me. And I'd go back and tell my dad. And it was like, it was like, and he would go. And, and then I actually got so scared because I was like almost scared for the people at that point. And so I quit telling. I was like, I don't need to tell dad. But come on, guess if my dad, my earthly father is like that, how much more will your heavenly father be that way? That when you're going and you're walking and you're in an uncertain place, you got to know that the rod is there to protect you. you got to know that he is there. And when you're walking and following him, there is no better place than you can be. It may not feel like the safe place because God will put you in some situations that you may not be comfortable with. But when you are walking and being led by God, his rod is there to protect you. And he will protect you and he will guard you with his life. And he has come and he has died for you to give you life and life eternal. And the other thing that he says here is he says, and your staff, your staff comforts me. See, the staff was used, it, he, could, he could pull the sheep in. It was used, he would keep the sheep close. He would, he would come, he understood that God was drawing him close. He understood what that meant. I remember growing up again, my dad, he was that protector. And he, you know, I could go anywhere. It didn't matter if we were in the middle of the woods. It didn't matter if we were in the middle of Atlanta. It didn't matter. If dad was there, I'm cool. You know, I'm like, this is good. I'm all right. I can even remember the most safe place I ever felt was in my mom and dad's bed. I slept with them till I was about 12. You know, I would, I would start out in my bed and she probably said like 16, but, but I would sit, I would start out in my bed and sometime during the middle of the night I, I would go and I can still remember because I'd be scared and I'm trying to get to that safe place, you know, and I'm going and I'd hit the hall and I kind of look like a fullback like, do a little shake move and go just in case somebody was coming, you know. And I'd look down the hall, go, and I, but when I got in that bed, man, it was safe. There was so much security there. I can still remember like smelling the pillow. My head hit the pillow and, and you know, I, I guess dad had a distinct odor. But I smell it and, and I just instantly felt this security. I just knew, man, I, I'm in the presence of my father. And, you know, and your dad, he's like 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? He's bigger than Goliath. And so I'm like, it don't matter what comes through the door. I can sleep now. I can have peace. And so I also knew this, this security that came from being in the presence of my dad, my earthly father. And so I had that security. And I knew, man, if somebody comes and messes with me, they're going to get the rod. And so there was this comfort there. There was this no. And see, here's the truth. That not everybody grew up with a dad like that. Not everybody did. But this is the one thing I can tell you that we all have in common today. You have a heavenly father who loves you just that way. And he will take care of you. He will guard you. He will protect you. And he will pull you close. And some of you, I really believe in my heart, need to hear this today. That God's desire is that you would just be pulled in close. You know, you've been fighting. You've been struggling. You've been going through life just like you're drowning. Just trying to keep your head above water. And I just believe today that God desires to pull you close. There's a little section of scripture in the Gospel of John. And John tells us that when they were reclining at the table at the Last Supper, that he said he put his head on the chest of Christ. And that's always amazed me because you know what he heard? You know what he heard? He heard the heartbeat of Jesus. Is that not wild? To think about being in a place 
so intimate with our risen Lord that you hear the heartbeat of God. And you know, that's what God's calling us all to today. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in his heartbeat. And we may not be able to physically recline at a table and put our ear to his chest, but I'm telling you today that if you'll allow him, he will draw you in. He will draw you close. And all he wants you to do is put your head on his chest. All he wants you to do today is to listen to his heartbeat. And just know that he loves you. That he has placed value on you. That he is God in the uncertainty. That he is God on the mountain. He's the God in the valley. When you're going to new pasture, he's still God. And that he has the rod and he has the staff. And then when something comes at you, he's going to whack it. He's going to smack it. And he loves you. He just wants you to be pulled close to Him. He loves you today. And He has placed incredible value on your life. So I just want you to hear that. There is hope in recognizing God as your shepherd. Incredible hope. That even in the midst of of trials and tribulations, the God of hope is still there. And you need to walk in that. You need to know that. You need to allow God to begin to put that in your heart and in your spirit. Don't walk through this life alone. If everybody else deserts you, God never will. And he will be there. And sometimes we just need to be encouraged. You just need to know that he's still there. He's still walking with you. He still desires that. You may have ran so far that you think you could never get back, and yet God's staff is so big, he'll just grab you and yank you right back. All you got to do is allow him to do it, and he'll pull you right back in there. He wants to be your God, and he loves you more than you could imagine. Amen.